Well, good morning, church. It is so good to see all of you. We're grateful that you're with us today. Again, I want to welcome those that are with us online, as well as those if that maybe this is your first time. My wife, Amber, and I are the lead pastors here at Zoe, and we just are grateful that you are a part of things. Hey, before I dive into the message this morning, i got a fun, exciting, exciting announcement to make for you guys of something that's going to be coming up in the next several weeks and the next several months is we are going to be launching a renovation of our entire lobby area out there. Uh, it is time to kind of do some updating, upgrading. We're going to be changing out flooring. We're going to be doing walls. We're going to do some construction, all those kind of things. And, uh, and so it's something that we're going to invite even some of you to be a part of that. And so I'm going to invite Adam Brett to join me up here on the stage. Adam Brett has, uh, you can give it up for Adam Brett as he comes to the stage. Adam is, uh, just in the last several months, helped us kick off our building improvement team. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what is that team like? So, yeah, building improvement team. Um, we are, uh, we have been meaning to launch it for a while. So for those who are already on board, we thank you for your patience. We're getting there. And God's timing is perfect, right? And here we are, big renovation. Um, so we're at, we're, it's a little push here to uh, try to get as many folks as we can to join. The vision, you know, real briefly of our, of the building improvement team is, uh, task comes second, fellowship is first. We've got an amazing uh, congregation and, and the culture of um, volunteer here is great yeah. already. And so we're, we're asking for those, but there's a lot of, of folks in the congregation who may be like behind the scenes more than out front. And so this could be a perfect spot for them. Uh, make no mistake, we've got spot for everybody. <laughs> so this is kind of our official, you know, kicking this thing off. <laughs> that's so, awesome. That's all appreciate I got. It. Thanks so much, Adam. Really appreciate it. Yeah. The, uh, so just so you're aware, if you are interested in being a part of that, maybe you're handy, you're like, hey, I could, I could do that kind of stuff. That would actually be fun with something for me to help out with. Uh, Adam, after the service, is going to be out in the lobby. There's a high-top table out in the lobby. Just stop by, say hello to him, uh, let him have your information, or at least learn a little bit more of what it would look like to be involved in that. But we would really appreciate that and look forward to some of the stuff that's going to be coming in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but this morning, we are uh, wrapping up a short three-week series uh, that we have entitled Core, as over the last three weeks, we've been talking about who we are as a church and our core values. What are the things that hold us together as a church? And so if you're newer, newer to our church, this has been a great series because you kind of get a feel for what has God called us to? What are, what are we passionate about? What are the things that hold us together as a church? And so back in week number one, we started with our first core value, which is we are gospel-centered. We said that we live in a world that is very self-centered, right? We center everything. It's all about me. What do I want? But God has called us to be gospel-centered, that, that the good news of, of what God is doing and is doing in the world through Christ, His salvation, what He is offering to the world, that He is offering invitation into His kingdom, reconciliation with the Father, that we get to be a part of that. We get to share that. We center every decision, everything we do on that. And so the outgrowth of that was our big so what? We said this, a gospel-centered life is an other's focused life. See, when we stop centering everything on ourselves and it starts to be about God and His kingdom, now we can have eyes to look out and say, how can I serve somebody else? How can I care for somebody else? We got to our second core value, though, and this was last week. If you missed last week, you got to go back and watch the message. Amber killed it last week, and she shared a powerful message. We looked at our second core value that we embrace the struggle. We say this, we embrace the struggle of life. We embrace the struggle of faith. Faith isn't always easy, but we say we're going we're gonna to dig into the hard stuff. And it, isn't, it doesn't mean we sit and we coddle all of our problems like, oh, woe is me. Life is hard. I'm just going to sit. No, no. Until we're willing to acknowledge the challenges we're walking, God can't actually bring transformation. And so when we recognize 
yes, I'm dealing with something, but I'm ready to be an overcomer, to step into the transformative power of the gospel in my life. That's what we're called to. And the big so last week was this, God uses broken people to reach broken people. When we allow God to bring healing in our hearts and through the weaknesses and the challenges we've had, when he brings healing us, now we allow the gospel to shine through that and others who are facing the same thing can experience the reconciling power, reconciliating power of God. The last week uh, here we're going to talk about is our last core value. We are the church. We are the church. Now this seems like a really simple statement or idea, but this is something we struggle with. Um, it gets really toxic, and it can lead to us having a toxic faith, and it can lead to us having a toxic communities like this. And so we're going to dig into what was Jesus' idea for this thing we call the church? What has he called us to? And how is that supposed to look in our lives and in this community? I think we got a challenging word. If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse number 13. As you turn there, yesterday we had an amazing time as we had our uh, pillar seminary here teaching. There was a hundred of us here at a round table. Just really powerful. Every single person that I talked to afterwards said, I wish I would have invited somebody else to come join me. It was that good. So I would just challenge you, if we have these opportunities, which we will, we'll bring them back. Don't miss out on that, all right? Would you stand with me? So we're going to read our text here this morning. We always say this, there's nothing sacred about standing. It's our tradition around here to say, God, we honor your word over my words. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray that this truth, this reality that oftentimes we miss, we misunderstand. God, I pray that you would bring clarity to our minds today. The way we think about this would be correct. But more than that, I pray that the way that we live would be reflective of a, a proper understanding. And God, I pray it would transform our lives and transform this community. We pray in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. All right, well, uh, I want to have a moment of honesty. I love having moments of honesty. Moment of honesty, how many of you have ever woken up on a Sunday morning and you thought to yourself, I don't want to go to church today? Raise your hand. Be honest. Be honest. If you don't have a hand up, you're a liar, okay? Okay, I'm the pastor, and there's moments when I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to go to church today. Like, it's just how it is, right? But what do we mean when we say we don't want to go to church today? We mean we don't want to go to the building for a service today. That's what we actually mean, right? That's what we're talking about. And here's the funny thing, is that at no point did Jesus ever envision that this could be even a statement that would make sense. <laughs> he never, never thought this would, like that I don't want to go to, it just doesn't even make any sense based on what Jesus said. What do I mean? I want to dig into the passage we just read. And I think this is going to help us understand what I'm saying here this morning. Jesus starts uh, by having a conversation. He's got his disciples around him, the passage we just read. He's got his disciples around. He's like, hey guys, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? What are, who do they say I am? And so they give him some examples. They say, some people think you're Jeremiah. You know, some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're John the Baptist. They have all these different ideas of who Jesus might be. But finally, he gives a very prodding question. And he says, okay, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Who do you say I am? 
And I pause here because this isn't the point of the message, but this is literally the most important question that any human can ever answer. Who is Jesus? Not who does your mama say Jesus is, who does your grandma say, who, who does your church say Jesus is. Not, no, what matters more than anything is who do you say he is? Because every single one of us must answer that question. And the answer to that question literally will change our destiny. It will change our eternity. It is a, if you have never answered that question completely, wholly, with all of your heart, I challenge you, you need to face that question. Okay? Who is Jesus? It's in that moment Peter gives this uh, declaration. He, it's the first time somebody proclaims of the reality of who Jesus is. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? And that's been revealed. Nobody told you that. Like, God has revealed that to your heart. It's this amazing declaration that takes place. And it's at this moment that Jesus gives a promise. He gives this declaration. It's one of the most powerful promises that we see in Scripture where he says this, On this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the King James, the gates of hell shall not come against it. It's this powerful, powerful promise that Jesus makes. But to understand it, we got to dig into what is he actually saying here. Okay. He says, on this rock, what is the rock that he's talking about? The rock that he's talking about is the declaration that Peter just made of the divinity of Christ. Who he is. He is Messiah. He's not just some nice guy. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. On this reality, right? Jesus, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of our faith. On this rock, he said, I will build. Who's the I? Think about it. Who is the I? Jesus. That's always the right answer. If you're never sure, just answer Jesus. Okay. Every time it's always Jesus. Okay. He says, I will be. Jesus says, Jesus is doing the building. And so whatever this thing he's talking about, we can have a holy confidence about it. It isn't like, hey, you're going to have to pull something off. No, he's saying, I'm going to do this thing. You can trust me. You can believe. And even when it goes sideways and you're like thinking, oh, no, is this thing going to fall apart? You can have a confidence that I, right, the son of the living God, I'm the one doing the building. And so you can trust me. Okay? So he says, on this rock, I will build my church. The problem is, what does the word church actually mean? Because we have a problem with this word. If we go back to the original Greek, what is the word that is translated as church is actually the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. I'm sure you guys use that word all the time in your normal language, right? Ekklesia. Just a normal thing. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Okay, but that's the original Greek for this word. And it may surprise you that this is not a religious word. In fact, this is a secular word, right? It isn't a religious word. It isn't a location. The word ekklesia literally means a gathering or assembly of people, often for civic purpose. It was never meant to be a place, but a gathering or a movement of people, people with a common identity or a common purpose. That's what an ekklesia is. So if you're like me, you would say, okay, then why in the world when I go in my Bible and ecclesia pops up, why does the word church show up? Why doesn't gathering or, you know, this assembly, why isn't that the word that gets used that, since that's actually what the word means? I'm glad you asked that question. Okay, why do we have the word church? But to do that, we're going to have to get into some history. How many out there love history? 
Okay, how many of you hate history? It's okay, there you go. Suck it up for the next 60 seconds, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Okay, keep yourself awake if you have to. Okay, what happened? Jesus comes and he begins. He's like, I'm building my ecclesia. This thing is going. The movement's happened. People are coming to faith, right? But they're living inside of the context of the Roman Empire. And they're, being a Christian is toxic for your health in the Roman Empire. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to take you out. But there's these communities popping up all over the place, the little homes and all this. They're serving Jesus, passionately giving their life for Jesus. And for centuries this is taking place. But in the year 313 A.D., something crazy happened. The emperor of Rome becomes a follower of Jesus, Constantine. And at that moment, he declares that Christianity is now the religion of the Holy Roman Empire. You've heard that phrase before, right? Now they're all, he's like, everybody, we're going to be a Christian. And so what did he do? They began to take all of the pagan elements and to kind of make a twist on them and to turn them into Christian things. And one of the things they did was they took all these pagan temples, right, all these pagan worship places, and they turned them and said, hey, these are going to be places for you to celebrate your Christianity, to worship God inside of these temples. And so they gave names to these things. And there's a whole bunch of names that they use for these places, but one of the words is basilica. How many have ever heard of the basilica downtown? Okay, you know what that word? That, that's the Latin word for place of worship, okay? It's just a normal word, this basilica, that's what we have, okay? And so they'd have basilicas all over the place. And there were other words that were associated with these places where you would go to worship God, okay? But somewhere along the way, there's a German word, a German word, which is kirke, kirke, okay? And this German word uh, it means, uh, sorry, it means not place of worship. This one means house of the Lord, okay? This word kirka. And this word kirka is the word that was transliterated into English as our current word of church, okay? You follow me now? So once upon a time, church meant gathering, assembly. Uh, now this word that actually means house of the Lord is the word that's being associated with this word ecclesia. So instead, when they came to this time, instead of translating ecclesia directly, they actually substituted it with a word church. Now, I can't give you the reason why this decision was made. Can't give you the reason. But here's the problem that I see, is that result of what I would consider a weak or a mildly confusing translation has resulted in us having a corrupted and oftentimes toxic view of what this whole idea of church actually is. Okay? See, here's the reality. When it comes to scripture, we, those of us who profess faith in Christ, we are the ecclesia. We are the movement. We are the gathering. We are the assembly. Ultimately, we are the church. Okay? We've been invited. It isn't some location. It isn't a place where we go to worship. No, we are that thing. We are those people. He's invited us into something. That's what the gospel says. It isn't just an, an invitation that says, hey, your sins can be saved, and then one day you get to go to heaven. That's not it. No, your sins can be saved, and you get to enter into the ecclesia. You get to be a part of the body of Christ that is living and active, that has purpose, that has value, that has intentionality. You have a reason to live today. Not just one day out there, but today in the kingdom of God, you have value, all right? And we've been invited. We are the church. The problem is we get a toxic view of this. We think incorrectly, and when we think incorrectly, it changes our behavior, and our behavior becomes incorrect. And so what I want to do this morning, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to take out and I'll write a few things down this morning. But I'm going to confront some of the incorrect views 
when it comes to this whole idea of ecclesia, the church. And we're gonna, we're gonna, it'll reveal to us just what does that really mean and how does this affect our day-to-day life. The first point I'm gonna look at is this, is that an ecclesia is not a building, okay? An ecclesia is not a building. We call the building church, right? We talk about it. We say, I'm gonna go to the church. See that church over there? Look how pretty that church is. Look how ugly that church is. Look how big that church is. We talk about the building as if it's a church. But here's the problem. This creates a a false separation between the spiritual and the normal parts of our life. We create this separation. We've we've designated, no, that's the place where like the spiritual stuff happens. And over here is my normal life. And this is a toxic dualism for anybody who calls himself a follower of Christ. Whenever we begin to divide, it gets really, really dangerous in our life. When we do this, we turn church into reverse Vegas. Okay. Tell me, how many of you been to Vegas before? Anybody been to Vegas before? Some of you don't want to admit it. That's okay. All right, no no guilt in here, that's fine. Okay, but what's the phrase? Even if you haven't been there, what's the phrase? What happens in Vegas? You all know that, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So what's the mindset? Hey, you can come to Vegas, you can do whatever you want to, you can smoke whatever you want to, you can do it, it doesn't really matter. Whatever you want, you can do there. But when you go back home, that's when you got to tidy yourself up, act all clean, get your stuff together, make sure you're being a good person. Next time you go to Vegas, you can go be crazy again. See, the the church, when we have this idea that the church is a building, we get a reverse Vegas mindset that says, when I go to church, I got to tidy myself up, I got to act a certain way, I got to talk a certain way, I got to play the games, I got to show up and act like, I look what I'm doing, look, I'm so spiritual, look at me, I'm even dancing for the Lord this morning. And then we walk out the door and go to our normal lives and act however we want to. That's toxic. That's not what we've been invited for. He's called us to something deeper than that, Right? He, he, this, this toxic dualism, this separation is so, so dangerous in our faith. And I'll hear people sometimes, that, uh, you know, they'll be around me and they might say something. They're like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't say that in the church. And I'm like, well, if you shouldn't say it in the church, you probably shouldn't say it out there because there's like, there's like no difference, right? I love our building. Like we got it. I'm so grateful for our building. We love our, but there is nothing sacred about that steel up there, right? It isn't. Like, we're the church. This, ain't, this is a building where the church meets, a building where the ecclesia of God gather together. And God does divine things here amidst us, but it has nothing to do with the dumb building. This just keeps the rain off, okay? But we have this mindset in our faith sometimes where we have, well, here's the spiritual part of my life, and here is the normal part of my life. I have my spiritual friends. They're the ones that challenge me, that encourage me. And then I got my party friends where we have some fun and we get into trouble and all those kind of things. But it's okay because I still have my spiritual stuff, so I can do that. Or we have the parts of our life. We got this, like, I follow in Jesus and I'm faithful, but then I have this one little thing that I still do, and I know I probably shouldn't do it. But it's okay because I got my spiritual part, and this is just like the normal thing, and that's all fine. Listen, it's all spiritual. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, it's all spiritual. No matter what you say, what you think, it's all spiritual. His presence is everywhere. And he's inviting us not into some artificial. We talked about it last week. We don't want artificial things, do we? We don't want the fake stuff where like I come to church and I fake it up on Sundays and then every, all the rest of the time I'm going about my business doing whatever. We don't want to live that way. And Jesus doesn't want us to live that way. He's inviting us into a real, authentic relationship that pervades every area of our life, that there is no part that says there's the normal. It's all spiritual. My morning is spiritual. At the work is spiritual. When I'm going to the gym, it's spiritual. When I'm, when I'm with my family, it's spiritual. Whatever I do, it's spiritual. Because I am the church. I don't ever get to leave because that's me. I am the church. 
Like I never walk out the doors of a church. I walk out the doors of a building, but I never walk out the doors of a church. I am the church. You are the church. Okay. Second point, Ecclesia is not a building, but number two, an Ecclesia is not an event. It's not an event. We call the, the building the church, but we also call the service church, don't we? Right? I'm going to go to church. I had church today, that, that gathering. Here's the problem. When church becomes an event, then it's something that we get to critique. We become critics of the event that we went to. Just honest, how many of you have ever said the phrase, how was church today? <laughs> we all say it. If you didn't go and your spouse went, like, hey, how was church today? And what are we, re- what are we asking? Usually we're saying, well, like, how was the sermon? Did, did Greg preach good today? Was he boring today? Like, was it annoying? Like, whatever. I don't know. How was the music? Did they do the songs that we like today? Well, it's kind of like, no, I didn't really like the songs today. Or like, how was the, was the food in the lobby? You know, how was the temperature? Were the lights okay? Like, we start thinking about things. We become these critics Did church meet my expectations? Did this idea of church meet my desires? And this is so toxic for us as followers of Jesus. It literally will eat us to pieces when we have this mindset. Why? Because it goes back to what we said in week number one. We are fundamentally self-centered. And when we are self-centered, we come to the church looking to say, how are you going to meet my needs? Now, should the church be here to meet needs? 100%. But when the attitude of our heart comes to say is what you going to do for me, what have you done for me lately, it is so toxic to you and it is so toxic to this community, right? It gives us the totally wrong mindset. But when we recognize that we are the church, right, we don't just go to this event, we are the church, we get to go from spectators to participants. And hear this, we go from renters to owners. How many ever rented a car before? Think about how you drive a rental versus how you drive your own car. <laughs> like, like, it ain't my car. I'm like, woo, here we go, you know. Like, you're not really concerned. I'm not, I'm not keeping this thing very long. I got this for a couple days. No big deal. Right? I'm going to trade this thing in for another one. Next time I'll get a different car if I don't like this car. See, I'll say this. I'm going I'm to step on a couple toes possibly, but that's okay. There's some of you that maybe have attended this church for a couple of months, right, maybe six months. You've attended this church, and you've thought to yourself, man, I really love this. Man, I love Greg's teaching. I love the music. I love this play. Like, the community is just so great. I love this stuff. But you said that about the last church you attended. But somewhere along the way, they didn't meet your desires, and you went and found a new one. Now, let's be honest. There are reasons to leave a church, 100%. And some of you left for absolutely valid reasons. Totally get that, Okay. But if our mindset is that of a renter is like, let's see what they're going to do for me and see if this will cut, cut it and make me happy. Okay, that's a toxic mindset. You have a fresh start to say, guess what? We're going to fail you. Heads up. I'm still broken. I'm going to do something that might bug you. Okay? I'm, I'll probably say something this morning that's annoying to you. That's okay. Right? As long as I'm not going off a deep end. Let's do it. We're in this, this community together. We have an opportunity to say, you know what? I choose to not be a renter, but an owner. I have an ownership of this place because I'm not going to an event. I'm a part of a community. And when you're a part of a community, you wrestle, you have conversation, you deal with things. Right? This isn't just a place we show up. I say this all the time in our next step class. If you're looking for a church to show up for an hour on Sundays, this, is, this isn't really a good church for you. 
Because we're, we're expecting our hope for you is that you would dive into something deep and rich and meaningful. That this could be a place where you would experience the true ecclesia of God. Where there is life and there is hope and there is joy. Okay? Jesus said this. Remember what he said? I haven't come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom. See, this is the mindset of a follower of Jesus. We don't, we're not like making something up here. We're just simply saying, could our hearts look like Jesus' heart? Like where he said, I came to give, we should say, okay, God, I want to look like you. I want to be one who looks to come in, to give, to, to lay myself down, to care for other people. And some of you maybe need to, this may be the only thing you need to take away today. The most meaningful part of a Sunday may not be what you get, but what you give. Because we all come to church, and there's days like this. This morning, I talked to somebody right before first service, came in carrying a really, really heavy burden. I know he needed to come receive from the Lord today. But if all we do every single Sunday is come just looking to get, looking to get, looking to get, and never looking to give, it will be toxic to your soul. And hear this. Sometimes the most meaningful moment of the morning will not be the sermon you hear or the worship song you're a part of. It will be the prayer you pray with the person standing next to you who looks like they need encouragement. It will be the, the conversation you have out in the lobby with the person who looks like they're all by themselves. And you say, you know what, I'm going to go encourage them. I'm going to go lift them up. I'm going to care for them. That could be the most important thing. We get so fixated as a, as a church thinking, oh, this is this event I need to criticize. I need to critique in some way. But instead we say, no, this is, I am the church. Wait a second. I can't sit and critique and criticize this thing that I'm a part of. Oh, can we get better? Absolutely. But my job is not to be a critic. It's to be engaged, to be involved, to be a participant in what God is doing in this place. There are times when we hit a point, and some of you have probably been there in your life, where you're like, you know what? I have heard every sermon, right? Like, I've literally, I've heard so many sermons, Greg. You know, maybe in your, you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I don't know. Maybe you've been involved in church. You've been in church world. Like, I was a worship leader, so I've been in a lot of service since I was like 12. I've been in, a, I heard lots of sermons in my life, okay? And it's possible you get to this place where you're like, I've heard it all, Greg. I don't need church. I don't need to go anymore. Like, I feel like I've got enough. You're probably right. You probably just need to live the stuff you already know. That's probably true. But you know what? What is also important is the fact that that church needs you. Because your presence in that church, that you would say, well, I've heard it all. You're right. But you know what? Those people that haven't heard it, they need your encouragement. They need you there to lift them up. They need you there to pray with them. They need you there to stand with them. Some of you say the same thing when it comes to small groups. Small groups are like, ah, I've been a part of small groups. I don't need a small group. You're right. You might not need a small group, but the people in that group desperately need you. Because your maturity, your spiritual depth, the, what you have walked through, the stories you've come through, they need to hear that. And, and I want to say it to an older generation that it's really easy when you get older to start saying, you know what, I've done my time, I've already served, let's let the younger generation step up and do it. Yes, we should let the younger generation, but you don't get to tap yourself out and say, I'm done now, we'll let the young people. know. we need your wisdom, we need your prayers, we need your encouragement, we need you to come alongside and cheer on those that are struggling, right? We need you, there is a place for every single one. We are the church. We need one another. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to talk to somebody online, and it might meddle a little bit here. There's some of you are online because that is the only option you have. And I'm so grateful you are with us. But there are some of you that that's the easy option. And this is the harder one, but this is also possibly the better one. That we don't need you just sitting behind a camera. We need you to come in the room because your presence makes a difference in the ecclesia of God. We need one another. We need one another, okay? We are the church. 
We're owners. We're investors. We are the church. Number three, an ecclesia is not an institution. It's not an institution. I think we can be hard, this can be a hard one because historically there have been periods where this is the case. Where the church has operated as this institution that operated far more like the kingdoms of the world than the kingdom of God. But that wasn't Jesus' intention. His desire is that we would live under his values, which is this self-sacrificing, not dominating others, but caring for one another. The values of the kingdom of God. We were supposed to live totally different. The problem is when we get this mindset and we think of the church as an institution, then we give the enemy the license to use one of his favorite weapons. Church hurt. If I were to ask you, raise your hand if you've ever experienced church hurt, my guess is the vast majority of you would raise your hands. Because we've all been hurt by someone, right? We've all experienced it. And other different levels. Like, I, I, I don't say that any of this to, to demean anyone's hurt whatsoever. We've all experienced in some way. And some of you have experienced extremely toxic, painful things. And I'm really sorry you've experienced that, okay? But Amber and I changed the language that we used. It probably was just a, a year or two ago. Because it's easy to talk about being hurt by the church. Um, but I say, none of us are hurt by the church. We are hurt by people in the church. That's what happens. And how is that any different than any other relationship we have in our life? Every one of us gets hurt. Think about your family. All of our families, as much as we love our families, they get crazy sometimes. There's pain. There's anger. That you, like, that you fight. You hurt one another. And, and as I was thinking about it and even preparing writing this message, I thought about the fact, okay, all of us like to say that, that we've, had, we've been hurt by the church, when in reality we've been hurt by someone else within the church. That's what's taking place. But guess what? We've caused somebody else's church hurt too because we've probably been the one that's hurt someone unknowingly. Didn't even do it on purpose. I guarantee you there's, there are people in this church that have been hurt by something I've said or something I've done, something I haven't done, and I don't even know about it. You see, th this is what the enemy uses. He uses this idea of church hurt. He, he uses this idea that we, rather than thinking about the body, the ecclesia of God, we think of everything. If I get hurt by a person in the church, now it's me against the church. The institute, and the entire institution of the church is against me. And so therefore, it's this us then, I need to separate myself from them. And the enemy will use this in our lives to, to dig bitterness deep in our hearts, to cause us to walk away, to say, I don't want anything to do with the church, because that's how they are over there. Why did Jesus say over and over again, we've got to pursue forgiveness? Because he knew what the church would be like. He knew what his ecclesia, it's going to be filled with a bunch of broken people. Are they being transformed by the power of the gospel? Yes, but they still do dumb things sometimes. We still say foolish and hurtful things sometimes. We hurt one another. And we have to be those who say, you know what, I'm going to choose forgiveness. I'm going to choose and pursue restoration in this place. He challenged us in this over and over again. When the enemy uses this idea of offense, this idea of church hurt, he will use it as a means to literally imprison us. Because when we have an offense, hear this. When you have an offense that is not dealt with and forgiven, what is the result? Roots of bitterness begin to grow in your heart. And, and a lot of us, we were like, well, they hurt me and that way. Guess what? The moment that root of bitterness takes hold in your heart, you're the one that's suffering now. They aren't suffering. You're the one that's in bondage. And the enemy will use this idea of bitterness to put you into a prison and to separate you from the body so that you don't ever want to run back to 
the church, right? That's why he doesn't want you to go there. Why? Because that's where God's best for you is in the context of the family of God. That's what God's desire for you. And so the enemy doesn't, so he isolates you. He gets you to say, no, that horrible church over there, I can't believe the incident, they're so bad, all those things, to keep you away. And Jesus is saying, no, I want, I want you to step back in. Did people hurt you? Yeah, we're going to have to deal with those things. We're going to have to walk through it. There's going to be reconciliation. There may be consequences to some of the things that happen. But I want you to be a part of my family. Right? Families are messy. But that's where the richest, most meaningful relationships are, are in families. And sometimes it takes a little work. Okay? An ecclesia is not building. An ecclesia is not an event. An ecclesia is not an institution. It is you. It's me. It's those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. This invitation into this beautiful assembly, this gathering of believers that have a purpose that goes not just for now but for all of eternity and one day will result in a massive gathering before the throne of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords where every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be represented declaring to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be glory and honor and praise forever and ever. We are invited into this ecclesia that will last all of eternity. We are invited into this today to live out the fullness of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. All right? I want to I wanna go to just one more passage real fast. I know we're running tight on time here, but there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul is talking about the church. And he refers to the church as a body, right? A human body. And I think... Uh, we can all understand this. He said, like, Christ is the head, and you are all the body of Christ. We have that phrase, the body of Christ. That isn't some vague idea. He's literally talking about we're the body, which means we all got a different role to play. Some of you the hand. Some of you the nose, right? Some of you the kneecap, right? Some of you are the, you know, I have a large nose. That's something in my life. It's just, I broke it when I was younger. I just got a big old, I call it a schnoz. That's fine. It's a big nose, you know. And some of you are like my schnoz. You are prominent. People see you. They don't miss you, right? I like to consider myself to be one of the schnozzes around here at Zoe Church because I'm on a stage every week. Everybody sees me, right? But there's others of you that are, that are more like, you know, an armpit or, or a spleen or something less seen than everything else, you know? But <laughs> we all have a different role to play, right? But the point of what Paul was trying to say in that passage is saying, listen, every single one of us has a part to play. And none of us get to say that one part is more important. Are there areas that are prominent? Yes. But nothing is more important than the other. We all have a role. Because what would happen if one day I decided, or my hand decided to say, I'm going to stop working. Guess what? My body is not functioning like it's supposed to anymore. If one day one of my internal organs decided to say, we're just going to stop working now. Guess what? My body is no longer functioning the way it's supposed to, okay? And he said, the church is the same way. If we, every one of you, some of you are gifted in unique ways. And you're like, well, I don't really have a place here, nothing. But guess what? If you don't use your gifts to build up and encourage the body, the body is not what it could be. It's missing something. It's like a limb that just stops moving. 
We need every single person as a body of Christ to engage and say, God, what have you given me financially? What have you given me, you know, experientially? What have you given me when it comes to talents and gifts that you put in me? How can I leverage those for your kingdom and for the building up and encouraging of the body, this ecclesia, right? How can I use that for your glory? Every one of us has a part to play. And if you feel like you don't, Paul says this, the parts that that are the least obvious sometimes are the most important. And I know that. There are some of you that nobody sees what you do. And you need to hear this. You have a critical role in the kingdom of God. The The king of all the universe sees you. Okay? He sees you. And so I want to get to our big so what here this morning. And it's just a question this morning for us, and it's this. What kind of church are you? What kind of church are you? Because a lot of people say things like, well, the church isn't very loving. The church isn't very loving. Are you loving? The church is just full of hypocrites. There's, there's hypocrites all over the place. Okay. Are you, are you a hypocrite? Because you are the church. You don't get to just plead like, oh, those people. No, no, you are those people. I am those people. <laughs> we are those people. God, what kind of a church am I? If people encounter me, what are they experiencing? What are they seeing? Right? Oh, well, the church doesn't care about the poor. Do you care about the poor? When you walk in the doors here on a Sunday morning, you think, oh man, these people don't say hi to me. Do you say hi to others? Nobody will talk to me. Do you talk to people? Do you look for the person that's by themselves? See, we are the church. We don't get to say, oh, those, no, we are those people. We are the church. What kind of a church are you? And the more that we can reflect God's plan, this idea that we get to be a part of something, active, not just sitting back and watching, but actually active in His body, the more we'll experience the fullness of what He saw the kingdom of God to look like. Not a bunch of professionals doing the real important stuff and all the other people just sitting and watching. No, it's every single one of us vitally involved in what God has called us to do. Now, I've seen the church do amazing things. I've I've walked through some of my own pain. I've had people do hurtful things to me. I get it. You don't serve in ministry for as long as I have without having a little pain. But at the same time, I've seen the beauty of what the church can look like. You know, I, I, I said this in first service. Some of you, you see me, right? I get all the accolades because I'm on the stage and everybody sees me. Everybody knows me. You know, this is great, you know. But you guys don't see the woman in our congregation that every, every Sunday morning when I walk into the parking lot at 6.30, she's driving her car around the parking lot interceding over this day. You don't even know who she is. But she does in the secret place what God has called her to do. And she is faithful there. Right? And that's what we're called to. What has God called us to? I've seen the church, there's so many times when Amber and I have walked through challenging seasons and we've said to each other, like, what do people do when they don't have a church community around them? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I can't imagine. I mean, I think back to when, you know, it was what, 13, almost 14 years ago when, when we had a house fire and we lost everything. And I remember the day that we, we go there and, we, and the fire's still going. They're still trying to put the fire out and we're like, we don't know what to do. And we, I remember sitting on, on the grass out in front of our house 
and, and some people from the church came and they brought food and they had brought it and they sat down in the grass with us and we sat together and we didn't know what was happening like we just lost everything you know I'm sure we're emotional about it but they just were there they cared for us and they said Greg I know you can't see it right now I remember when he said this because at the, the moment oh gosh I remember that moment when he said Greg you can't see it right now but God will redeem this and do something good out of this. I haven't thought about that moment for a long time. That was a, and I remember that moment and God did exactly that. I mean, the stories Amber and I could tell of how that moment literally has changed the trajectory of life is crazy. But it wouldn't have happened if it was me and Amber sitting in the front lawn, just woe is me moment. It takes the church being the church. You know, a couple hours later, we didn't know where we were gonna stay and, and a couple from our church said, hey, you can come live with us. For the next six months, we lived in their house. They became like family to us. At the time, they weren't that close. They had become like family to us. Right? I remember when our son Asher was, you know, Amber was pregnant with our son Asher. And she goes on 12 months of bed rest. She can't do anything. And I've, I still got to work. And like, what are we going to do? And, uh, and somebody from the church came every day, clean our house, just helped him, would make things for her, did so long. I mean, she was folding my underwear. Like, this is weird. But this lady was just caring for us. Like, that's the church being the church. That's what we're supposed to be for each other. And it's imperfect, and we mess it up still sometimes, but that's the whole idea that we're a part of something. And I could, I could go story after story after story of the times when people have encouraged us or lifted us up or the times when they have got in our face and called some stuff out when we needed it. See, that's what the church is supposed to be. We need each other. And it's a gift. The church, the ecclesia of God is not only a body that is accomplishing a thing, it's also a body that's encouraging us together. Okay? We get to be a part of this. And so I want to pray over every one of us. My, my desire is that as we talk about this idea that maybe God would begin to reveal areas in our life where maybe we've had wrong thinking about what the church actually is and that maybe we would step into a healthy view and live differently as a result, okay? So can we pray together? Father, we thank you so much for your design. You had a plan. You didn't just wing this thing. You had a plan. and Part of your plan was the ecclesia of God, and we've got invited into this thing. But God, we are, we are grateful for that. But God, we admit, even as I talk today, there's still areas where I view it wrong. When I see things incorrectly, and therefore I live in ways that are conflict with what your ways are. So, Lord, today we just humbly come before you and we say thank you for the invitation to something better. But we also say, God, we've, we need to repent of some ways. Maybe we've gone the wrong way. We've thought wrongly. We've lived wrongly. I'm going to invite you to take about 30 seconds right now. And, and if the Holy Spirit's spoken to something throughout this message in, in your heart of an area where maybe you've, you've been viewing things wrong or has just been going the wrong way, would you just have a moment of repentance? Just say, God, would you forgive me? I want to turn away from that view, that way of thinking. Maybe there's, maybe there's some of you that have been holding on to bitterness. And you say, God, I need, to, I need to experience freedom there. Would you help me to step into freedom there? Just have a moment with God. Lord, I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that I've, I've lived so far below what you had intended for me. I don't want to 
want to, I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, man, I could have had that, but I accepted something less than that, Lord. And I know that part of that calling you have for us is an invitation into your eternal plan, and it's part of your ecclesia. Lord, I pray that you would help us to think rightly and to live rightly. This coming week, as it relates to your church, God, may you said you love the church. God, I pray that our love would grow. Oh, there might be frustrations, just like when our in-laws do something frustrating. But God, I pray that we would pursue a loving, healthy relationship. And God, that you would use the gifts you've given us for your glory. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close this series out together, we just wanted to be able to participate in communion together. So I would ask you to take out your emblems. Uh, if you, by chance, were missed on the way in the door, would just raise a hand. Our ushers are going to walk down the aisles and just make sure you get one of those. But you can go ahead and open up uh, the communion uh, supplies. If you're with us online, I would encourage you to grab a solid and a liquid to join with us here. You don't have to be a member of Zoe Church to participate. We do ask that you are a follower of Jesus. And if such, you can participate with us in this. There's a passage of scripture I want to take us to. Um, I read this several um, months ago at a communion time, but I just felt led that this is an encouraging passage for us because we get to gather together. Like, you don't have a meal with a building <laughs> or an event or an institution. You have a meal with people, with family, with friends. And so I think it's so fitting that Jesus gave us a meal. Like, that's what we do. We get together and we eat stuff. Like, it's kind of weird, but there's a reason because that's what we do with people that we're in relationship with. And there's a passage out of Hebrews chapter 10 that I just want to read a few verses to you because I think it encourages us in this idea. It says, therefore, Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure, with pure water. Hear this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We are the body of Christ. We get to celebrate the means to entering that body here this morning as we remember the body, the broken body and the blood of Jesus. He said on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. We say, thank you, Jesus, for your body. Can we eat together? the same way after dinner he took the cup he said this is the blood of the new covenant can we drink together would you stand with me just say thank you Jesus just respond for a moment say thank you Jesus for your body thank you for your blood thank you for what you've done for me thank you for the body that we get to be a part of it's not always easy but God we thank you for the body of Christ thank you for that Lord Jesus and I, I got two things for you before we walk out the door here this morning. Two really, really important things. First, I got a challenge for you that I want to give you. And the challenge this morning is this, because we want to do something with this. And it's this. Lean in. Lean into the ecclesia. 
What does that look like? I don't know what that means for you. But for some of us, we've kind of been like this with the body of Christ, kind of, kind of one foot in, whatever. Lean in. Maybe you need to engage a little bit more. Maybe you need to come a little bit more. Maybe you need to get into a small group. Maybe you need to find a community. Maybe you need to find a place to serve. I don't know what that looks like for you, but find a way to lean into the ecclesia of God to get a hold of this idea of the community and not the building or the event or the institution, okay? But I'm gonna give you a really specific challenge because there are some of you are like, okay, I wanna lean in. What does that look like here at Zoe if I wanna be a part of this? We have a class we offer once a month. Sign up for next step. We got next step next month. Okay, I, don't, I forget what day it is. Sometime in February, there's a class, Next Step class. You can get registered online. Sign up. You'll learn a little bit about our church, but you'll learn how to engage, how to serve, how to be a part of things here at Zoe. Okay? Again, this, is, this isn't a sales pitch. This is just a practical way that you can turn this place from being a place you show up to to becoming a community that you're a part of. Okay? Uh, but there's some of you, I would guess, that maybe you're like, if you haven't attended Next Step within the last year, but you attended like a long time ago, you should just go again, okay? But if you've attended in the last six to 12 months, but you're like, I showed up, but I never took a step to do anything. I'm not engaged. Like, what do I do now? I've already been there, Greg. All right, we want to just help you with that. We want to come alongside you. So we're going to throw a QR code up on the screen. This is going to stay up for a little while. If you've attended Next Step in the, in the last year, but you're not yet involved and you're like, you know what, yeah, I need to lean in a little bit, scan this QR code, just like two quick questions, and they'll help you come alongside you on that journey of finding a way that you can engage here at Zoe, all right? And so that's a, we want to put action. We never want to just hear good things and say, ooh, that felt good, but we don't change anything. We want to live this thing out, okay?